Mac Power Users, episode 672, Tech That Worked in 2022. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Ho, ho, ho. How are you, Stephen? I am good. Merry Christmas. Happy uh, happy holidays. It's one of those weird years that our show is releasing on Christmas Day. So <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. I know. It is it is strange. I set it up yeah. in, in our content management system. And I when the first thing I do is I go ahead and set the date that it's going to come out. I was like, oh, look at that. It's a yeah. Christmas show. Hopefully you're listening to us uh, having just enjoyed a very nice Christmas with your family, or maybe your family made you crazy and you put on the noise-canceling headphones and joined Stephen and Dave to talk nerdy stuff. Whatever it is, we're happy to have you here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And right off the bat, I'm a little under the weather, so forgive me for sounding, I don't know, like once a year, I thought I could record a cool jazz album, but uh, this is that week, apparently. I think so, man. I, I was thinking Sade vibes, but I'm probably dating myself. <laughs> so so what are we going to get up to this week? Uh, you know, we're hitting the end of the year, and I thought it would be really fun to kind of talk about what worked in 2022. We got a couple things that didn't work. Maybe we'll mention those too. But the, um, but the main thing is, like, what is the tech that we use that worked for us in this past year? Kind of like, like an update. Little snippets of this come out from us all the time as we're talking on the show. But I wanted to have an episode that kind of put a flag in the sand and said, this is where we are uh, at the end of 2022 uh, with the tech that's working for us. Yeah, I, I really realized some things about sort of the tools that I use in, uh, in yeah. preparation for this. And this week on More Power Users, which is the ad-free longer version of the show each and every week, uh, we're going to be talking about sort of the RSS resurgence that's going on in the community right now with certain social media sites going directions that people may not like. And, you know, we've I've seen a lot of things in the forums and in our discords about hey, what should I subscribe to via RSS? So we're going to talk a little bit about the tools that we're using. Uh, we talked about RSS on an episode a while back, but I thought it'd be a good time to to check in because a lot of people are exploring those apps and services right now, maybe for the first time in a long time. Yeah. And I would recommend if you're listening, open up an Apple Note, Obsidian document, whatever your you know weapon of choice is, and just make a list of the apps and and things you are focused on the stuff that works for you i think there's really something to the act of writing this stuff down and like having it in front of you and then you kind of see the ones that maybe could get better or the ones that you're really happy with but uh, i do find just kind of keeping it together i i call it my tech stack i've got mm-hmm. a note called tech stack and i just keep a bunch of stuff in there where i'm like okay this is what i'm currently using and of course it evolves over time but I find it very useful. So anyway, let's talk about our tech stacks. Yeah, let's uh, let's start with the productivity category. Uh, definitely a section of apps and services we talk uh, a lot about. And both of us really spent a, a large part of the year, uh, just since June for sure, experimenting with reminders. And I know you, you've used OmniFocus uh, for a long time. And I want to kind of check in on that with you. Yeah, I mean, when I made the change this year, I thought, well, maybe this will be the year I don't need OmniFocus anymore. You know, it is it is the most powerful task manager, in my opinion. You know, I don't have 150 clients to track anymore. Mm-hmm. So 
I thought, well, maybe I could get something simpler. You know, I used to always brag about how I was in law school. I used a napkin for my task management, and it would be nice to get back to that. Uh, so I spent a bunch of this year, if you're a labs member, you've seen a ton of videos from me about different task managers I've been trying out and things. And the closest I got was reminders. You know, we, we've been really hitting reminders hard the last couple months on the Mac Power users, but uh, it is a great app. And, you know, it, it, you know without asterisk, I, I feel like Apple has done a great job, but ultimately it's, it's not for me. Uh, the OmniFocus, like the defer dates and the, the project mm-hmm. reviews, and like even though my, my schedule is not as complicated as it used to be, I still like all the tools in OmniFocus and that was really, it took me a long time to get there because I was really thinking, you know, if I can get something easier and smaller, I would do it. And reminders is free, right? So that that's an advantage too. I just paid my hundred bucks to the Omni group to get OmniFocus for another year. And you know, it would be nice if you didn't have to do that. But uh, at the end of the day, OmniFocus to me is really so, I mean, there's so much love poured into that. And I, 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 you know, I know the guys that are making this app and like they're doing builds at two in the morning. They like, they work on that app harder than I think anybody else works on a task manager and you mm-hmm. see the results of it. And now they're getting ready to release version four, which is looking really good. So, so I, ultimately I decided to stay with OmniFocus, but uh, this year was really good for me in that I got a real much better feel for what else is out there. Like something that's emerging now is a lot of these web-based uh, task managers that are integrated with web-based calendars. And I think that's something worth checking out if people are interested in stuff like that. But uh, And I looked at some of those. But ultimately, I want something that I control, that I can automate. And, you know, OmniFocus this year had a really good year. Um, you know, they've got version 4 coming, but they've also got that Omni JavaScript automation. So any feature that you want in the app, um, you can add with your own JavaScript automation, but even better, Sal Segoin's made like a hundred of them already. And, you know, I think any feature you want, he's probably already added, <laughs> you know, you know, and you just literally click them and it adds the feature to the app. So it's like, it's so customizable. I, I know uh, they used to be a sponsor years ago and I sound like I'm in the bag for them, but I, I really do like, that app and and despite my best efforts this year i ended up staying with it could you talk a little bit about deferred dates and how they work and why they're important to your workflow yeah like a deferred date is like a start date for a task and so you know you've got due dates like reminders does due dates great um uh, but like there are certain things when i like i ran a reminders test for a month where i just tried to use reminders and it wasn't terrible. I mean, it's it's a good app, but like defer dates stood out for me as a problem. As an example, in California, you pay your property taxes in December and April, right? Um, in OmniFocus, I have the April date all set to go, and there's a start date on it, which is April 1st, and they're not due till like the 7th. But mm-hmm. every time I open OmniFocus, I don't see it because it's got a defer date of April 1st, whereas in Reminders, Every time I open reminders and look at that one project, I, I'm it slaps me in the face saying I I, may, I have to pay taxes. <laughs> you know, I mean you don't want that, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> so all those deferred dates, stuff, like, even like making a dental appointment, like I, you know, I have a six month reminder that that repeats saying make a dental. So you go to the dentist every six months. And uh, the other day, I I called using reminders and made my dental appointment. I checked it as done. 
and then it immediately just shows up still. But it's mm-hmm. just gonna, you know, it's not until six months from now. And there are ways I, I played in reminders with ways to kind of like get around this, like creating a smart list for things that don't have a start date. But those smart lists and reminders are not as powerful as they're in OmniFocus. So you can't combine them. It actually is it does it isn't quite enough. I feel like, you know, boy, with just a couple additional features, reminders could really be a contender for me even. But the uh but it's not there yet. And OmniFocus just continues to just knock it out of the park for me. And when you see everything they did this year, I mean, this is not an app where they're sitting on their laurels. Uh, uh, I like that. And I, I want the best in breed for task management. So that's the one. For me, it has been uh, reminders almost completely since June, since uh, WWDC. We, we talked about that on episode 667. Before reminders, I'd use Todoist probably the better part of six or seven years. And reminders is very similar to Todoist in terms of its structure. They're they're not deferred dates, and they're not that big of a deal to me as they are you and other people. But um, most of what I have is recurring tasks that are due on a set day of the week or a set day of the month. Reminders handles all that really well. It also has the really nice feature if you're a business owner to repeat task on the last day of the month or on the first day of the month or, you know, the 15th of the month. So much in business, at least in my business is tied to that sort of thing. Yeah. And like we talked about in that episode, reminders, isn't perfect. The quick entry into doist is better than anything I've tried. Reminders isn't quite there yet, but, uh, it is good enough to meet my needs and it's built in. So I'm not paying for Todoist, and it's a, a nice app. I mean, Todoist on the iPhone and iPad, they feel kind of like a universal mobile app. Like there's some sort of Android things in them. They're a good iOS app. Like they have widgets and Siri support and all that stuff, but some of the design. And then on the Mac, it's just a wrapper for a web view. And that means if you're offline, you don't have your tasks, which bit me a few times over the years. And so I've been really happy with reminders. I moved all my lists and tasks over and I've got some shortcuts set up to manage some things and it's been it's been really good for me. And uh this year really was the first time it kind of m- crossed the threshold into something that I could use day to day. Yeah, I mean, I see you using this like going forward. Uh it just seems like such a natural fit. I remember when you used to talk about remember the milk. Oh yeah. I used to just shake my head, but the uh, <laughs> you know, in terms of automation, reminders is good. Um OmniFocus is better. But again, you know, you got to pay for an app and you got to understand that app. Uh, reminders is a little simpler. I do like also the Siri integration with reminders. Um, yeah. So, I mean, both both of those both of those uh, technologies are very good. OmniFocus reminders, and frankly, there are a bunch of others. Things is awesome. I know a lot of people really like that. Um, there, I mean, there's a, there's a abundance of riches these days Definitely. for task managers. But you know, having kind of gone through the pile this year, uh, that was one of my big explorations this year, and I I'm a little surprised that I'm using the same one at the end of the year as I was at the beginning. But then again, I'm not really that surprised because um, if you, I, I just feel like OmniFocus doesn't have a challenger when it comes to like the high end stuff. Like you were talking about the, you know, setting a reminder on a certain date. OmniFocus has that plus so much more, you know? Mm-hmm. What about in the, uh, on the calendar front? You know, we spoke a long time ago about how you have just a bajillion calendars and how you're managing them with Fantastical. Has that, uh, stay true this year? 
Yeah, I mean, this year I did a lot. And because of a career change this year, I, I did a lot of reevaluation of my stack. And and the Fantastical was my calendar app before, and it is now. And it, I really love Fantastical. Um, they just, I just think they really get it right. Again, it's an app where there's a ton of people thinking every day about how to make a calendar app better. And like this year, I evolved my calendar workflows. Um, we talked about it earlier in the year, but um, I created planning calendars for every area of my life that only creates all-day events. So as an example, uh, for the labs, let's say I'm going to do a webinar on calendar management. And then so the day that that calendar entry is in for the webinar is there, but also there's an all-day event that is created via automation. So I can look at my calendar and say, show me my planning view, and I can just see the days, what I, what the big rocks are on certain days of the month, you know, so I know like, oh, that day I have a webinar and a podcast, maybe I should move the podcast. And uh, so that, that whole method works for me. But what it means is I have to create a bunch more calendars. I have to have an easy way to jump between them and manage them. And, and, you know, fantastic how gives me all of that. So I, uh, I really like that app. There was some, uh, some stuff going around the other day that they're increasing their pricing by about $18 a year starting in January, but it sounds like it's still worth it for what you need. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's a big boy tool, you know mm-hmm. I mean? And if you can get by on the basic tools, then don't pay for the extra features. It's really that, you know, I, I, this is news to me as we record, <laughs> I've been, you know, holidays, I've been busy, <laughs> but the, uh, but you know, if it was another $18 a year, I'd pay it. And I, you know, people think, well, you know, you're Max Sparky, you must get all the stuff for free. No, I, I, if I use the tools, I pay for the tools. Yep, I pay, I pay for OmniFocus. I pay for Fantastical. I'm not, uh, I am, I want, you know, I don't want to uh, be accused of, you know, being biased because someone gives me an eighteen dollar an app year or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the, um, but no, I, I feel like the, I know how hard it is to make a living as a developer, and especially these indie developers. I, I'm happy to pay for the service. But yeah, so the other thing Fantastical does that I like is it has like a, a, a flavor of Calendly built into it where I can send out availability and I find that works really well for me when someone wants to meet with me or do something. I don't really like the idea of just opening my calendar to the world and saying, just pick a time, you know, you can do that. You can do that now with Fantastical, but I don't like that. They have a, it's actually a simpler feature where you can say, make a proposal. And if someone says, Hey, let's do a meeting. I will send them like three proposals and then they pick one and then my calendar updates to the one they picked and the other two slots open up. But in the meantime, all three of those slots remain, you know, partially booked. So I don't double book. Mm-hmm. And I, I use that all the time. So that's, I mean, it's just a nice grouping of features around calendar management. So I'm, I'm in the bag for Fantastical too. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm using the default stock calendar. I mean, my needs aren't that, complex. Now I do have multiple calendars, especially in my iCloud account. We have one that's a family calendar, one that's just me and Mary. I have personal work. Each of the each of the kids has a calendar. I have some shared ones. And then I have a couple of my Google calendars in there from my work email addresses. So if someone sends me a meeting, you know, to my relay address, it just shows up in line with my other events. Yeah. So I open up I use for the labs we have like a shared calendar for like big events. And 
I, I manage those with just the basic calendar app, just so I have a separate kind of like place for that. But when I open that and I see all of my calendars on the sidebar and I have to go through and manually figure out which ones I want, I want to throw a rick a rock through the window. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I don't know. It, I get it. When I saw in the outline that you're using calendar, I'm like, how is he doing that? But then, <laughs> you know, like you said, you're not, you're not using it like as deeply as I am. Yeah. If I had five calendars, I probably could too, you know, but the, uh, uh, the the multiple calendars for me are a very important function of allowing me to plan production mm-hmm. schedules and publishing schedules and just like keep my life in line. So uh, you could accuse me of making things too complicated, but you know I'm trying to make it only as complicated as I need. And in the case of calendars, I use a lot of features, and I feel like that's what allows me to kind of keep everything rolling. But yeah, I get it. Just real quick, um, one f- failing of Fantastic Hell, in my opinion, is the inability to open two separate Fantastic Hell windows. Hmm. And occasionally, I get the bug to have like uh, a separate space with a calendar in it, twenty four seven. You know, like I could just go in there at any time and see the monthly calendar. You know, like say Space Five will just be the monthly calendar always. But I like to use Fantastic Hell in a windowed mode because I'm always working in it. And they don't give me the ability to say make a second window that's full a month. And since I have a set app subscription, I uh, downloaded um, uh, was it BusyCal, and they look good. I hadn't used the app in a while, but I used it as a full screen app. Eventually, I gave up on that. I thought, you know, it's silly. I can manage Windows. I can just do it on Fantastical. But but BusyCal looks good too. I mean, there there are other options out there. One of the reasons Fantastical doesn't click for me, and it's. It's not even an issue with the app itself, but I much prefer Apple's calendar widget on iOS to Fantastic House. And I know not everybody feels that way. In fact, I I would guess most people don't feel that way, but the stock calendar widget just kind of fits what I want to see a little bit better. Yeah, but that's really not a problem. If you're into Fantastic, you can use the stock calendar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, It's just something that, that when I... Because several times a year I'll check in on it, and that's one of the things that always sort of pops up to me is that those differences in widgets. Because the calendar is on my main iPhone home screen at the top, and uh, I would I'd feel a little bit silly. I mean, if if I was going to use Fantastical, I'd want their widget there. So if I tapped on it, I went into the calendar app I'm using, and so there's a little bit of a mismatch there for me. However silly it may seem. Although, okay, so now you got me curious. So I'm loading the calendar widget. I'm going to use it for a couple of days. See, see what I'm missing out on. Yeah, I like the density of Apple's a bit better. I think you can you can get it to where you can see more. Okay, well, I'm going to check this out. Cool. We just did uh, our notes and reminders episode, like we mentioned. So we have talked about yeah. notes pretty recently. Uh, I am fully in the Apple Notes camp. I got a ton of stuff in there, using the sharing a little bit. And it's been rock solid for me for years. I know you've tried some different things for different components of your business and life. Uh, where has that settled out? Yeah, that I feel like really found resolution this year too. I mean, as I went into the year, I wasn't sure. Uh, like I love Obsidian and uh, it's like a really great thing to cook ideas and thoughts in. But uh, as I entered the year, I was using it for way more than that. And I realized over time that that was kind of like muddying up the waters so I decided to move my personal notes, you know, about, you know, just like PKM stuff. The example I used on the show was, you know, taking the dog to the vet. Uh, I took all that stuff out of Obsidian 
put that in Apple Notes. And then the other thing this year is as with this transition, I have a couple people that are helping me with stuff and they need to see links and things and, and lists and things related to content I'm creating. And Obsidian is terrible for that. It's, you know, it's just not good at that. Uh, I thought about doing it with Apple Notes, but ultimately uh, we did that show on craft this year. And I really like craft. I like the the philosophy behind it. I like the way it's built. Uh, I like all the power tools there. And it is just rock solid and really killer for sharing. You know, it, the database is always up to date. Everything seems to work well. They've built in over the course of this year a way for uh, team members to leave comments on documents. So it is just awesome. And I'm so happy with that. And I've moved almost the entire database of Max Sparky production stuff into craft. And that's there. So now I'm using three. I, I've got Obsidian for ideas and thoughts, Craft for uh, Max Sparky stuff, and then uh, Apple Notes for personal stuff. And it sounds crazy, but I, it works. You know, having things broken up like that uh, works just fine. I really noticed in putting this section together, my sort of coming back to the stock apps. And this is something that we, yeah. we talk about on the show from time to time, that Apple's really their job with their default apps is to hit the most number of people possible, right? So, and that leaves the upper end of things for third, third-party developers. So things like Craft and Obsidian and Fantastical and all these other tools we've talked about usually are sort of up market from Apple's stock built-in apps. But over time, I think Notes and Reminders being two great examples of it, Apple has evolved and matured their tools to a point where their like their upward reach has grown over time. And you know, looking at this list, uh, out of the th- kind of the three big productivity things, notes, calendars and tasks, I'm all in on Apple's default stuff. And if you had told me that 5 years ago, I would have thought you were you bananas. But yeah. I, I really view it as a testament to what these teams have done at Apple making these tools better and better for more and more people. Yeah. And we, this has been a theme of 2022 of just like uh, realizing that Apple has taken a new philosophy toward their productivity apps. And the question that hasn't been answered yet is what is the ceiling for them? I mean, you know, is the reminders team at this point feel like they've gone far enough or are they suddenly going to start adding defer dates and review schedules and like things that, you know, more powerful apps have, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's Apple. So it's kind of uncharted territory. Like I've really never felt like their productivity apps were meant to be power user apps, but they're creeping that direction. And, and a good example of that is Stephen Hackett, who is definitely a power user, is using the, you know the Apple Suite reminders, calendar, and notes to do yeah. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wild, and it's I, I I too am very curious about where it goes from here because I look at especially notes and then reminders. And I think calendar and last place, the things that I would have them add, that list is shorter and shorter every yeah. year. Like notes has met my needs for a long time. And yeah, craft and others may meet them in different ways, but it's just really encouraging to me that Apple's taking these applications seriously. I mean, we're going to talk about communication next, but they've had the features to mail. Like Apple is really currently has a focus on these things. And I hope that continues because these apps could be really could be what most people need 
including people yeah. like me who run two businesses and, you know, all from my Mac. It's pretty wild. Yeah. And I, I think we're getting past the point where Apple needs to be so precious about its users. I mean, we're, uh, you know, a lot of people who grew up with technology and uh, we want more. And I, I think they're starting to realize it. And honestly, you know, it all, it comes down to individuals anyway. Maybe the people that they're hiring now are the same way. You know, they're like, oh, I love this app. I just wish it had a couple more features so I could use it, right? Mm -hmm. And so suddenly it starts getting those features. This episode of MPU is made possible by Text Expander. Are you typing things over and over? Maybe it's a link to a support page on your website. Maybe it's your email address. Maybe you do a lot of time and date functions and you'd like to be able to quickly name things in Finder with a date and time. Well, Text Expander can do all of that and so much more, and you can use it across your whole team. You can get everyone on the same page by getting information out of silos and into the hands of everyone who needs it. You can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending a unified message to customers and not spending time reinventing the wheel. You simply store everything in Text Expander, email addresses, phrases, messaging, URLs, and then they can share that content. In any app they're using, any platform, Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad, it doesn't matter. Text Expander is there. And then you can expand it. Just a few keystrokes on any device. Everyone is on the same page. It really is that easy. To learn more and get 20% off your first year, visit textexpander.com slash MPU. That's textexpander.com slash MPU for 20% off your first year. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of the show. All right, you you teased it earlier. We're getting into communications now, and uh, this year was a big year for email. It was, yeah. A Apple Mail, after a really long time, uh, got some modern features this year, both in Ventura and iOS and iPadOS sixteen. We've got Send Later, we have the Undo Send, we have Reminders, and we have uh, the sort of rich link preview like we yeah. have in, uh, in Apple Notes and some other apps. And those features came to all the platforms at once. It's not like, oh, the Mac got it, but the iPhone didn't. Like, that stuff is basically everywhere. And it's just like it is in, the, in their productivity suite. Super great to see mail getting that attention. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's a question mark. Is it, are they done? Are they going to continue? If I had a better nickel, I'd say they're going to continue. I think that they've whatever security things they were working through with mail, they've largely done that. And now they're going to be focusing on features. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to see how this evolves. Like this year, uh, before June, I had made a serious effort. It was turning to MailMate into my primary mail application. Yeah. And MailMate is awesome. I mean, they, there's so much stuff you can do with that app and you can customize it. If you're someone who wants to nerd out and re rewire the, key bindings of the application you can do that uh, but to be honest at this point i came back toward apple mail i've got them both running and occasionally i do use mailmate still but um uh apple mail is is really you know pretty close for me and i do combine it you know with Sanebox, which is a sponsor of the show but they add a bunch of features like you can have a deferred mailbox and like some of the stuff you want that the apple hasn't got to yet uh, same box gives me that, you know, and uh, I like the way they do it. So I'm, I'm happy to pay for that service. Uh, but that does give me like a, an extra level of features on top. But uh, Apple Mail has been pretty great. Now, Apple Mail 
has not been entirely stable for me. And that's the thing that I still wonder about. Like just last week I had a day where it just was super slow. I had it rebuild the mail index and it still was super slow. I um, eventually just kind of stopping on me and then I had to reboot it and the reboot took a long time. Have you ever run into this with Apple mail where it just gets like has a bad day? I I have. And uh, over the years, several different things have fixed it. I mean, a few years ago, I ended up blowing away like my entire like collection of library files. Like, okay, just re-download everything. Just start from scratch. Yeah, There is something to that that I feel like it comes and goes. Like maybe like back in Mavericks, there was a lot of mail problems and it settled down and now we've got some problems now. It's a little bit frustrating, but again, they're yeah. working on it. So I can't complain too much. No, and it's it's less frequent, but I can tell you I never have that problem with Mailmate. Mm-hmm. You know, it always works. Um, but uh, so that that is a question mark for me. Like if that started to happen more often, I'd probably go back into full-time Mailmate. But uh, Apple Mail is nice, and I like the new features. Do you use uh, Mail much on mobile devices, or is it a Mac thing for you? It's mostly a Mac thing for me. Uh, on my iPhone, it's mostly just triage. And if it's fast, you know, if I'm just like sitting somewhere and have my phone, but most of the time I'm doing it on, on the Mac because m- most of my emails need something that I need to reference somewhere else. So like I need to look, look an amount up on an invoice or send some support, you know, response to something or other. So it's just, it's just easier to do, uh, easier to do the, uh, that work on the Mac. Yeah, I am largely the same. In fact, I don't even have the mail app like on my home screen. Uh, it has to be something I go and seek out. Um, but you know, th- th- there's some really nice things about mail. This is one that's early in kind of the Apple Renaissance, you know, so they still need, in my opinion, more shortcut support, more features. There's more work to be done on Apple mail for certain mm-hmm. like reminders. I could make the argument that they're probably feature complete in their opinion. Whereas an Apple Mail, I feel like, no, they, they definitely have more work to do. Yeah. The new features have, have been a little bit more of a mixed bag for me than I expected. I think Undo Send and Send Later are the two big winners for me. The feature to remind me about an email seems very hit or miss as to what it yeah. thinks I should be reminded about. Yeah, that's a that's a failure in my opinion, honestly. Yeah. That that one needs to start over. Like um to compare it to our sponsor, Sanebox. And with Sanebox, you send an email and then you just blind copy it to Sanebox. So mm-hmm. I say, you know, one week at Sanebox and a week later, if I don't get a reply, it it gives me a reminder. Whereas Apple just says, Don't worry your pretty little head. We're gonna figure out the ones you need to be reminded about. And it's not they don't get it right, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's a automatic where it should be manual. And I, I get it. Apple likes this stuff to be automatic because most people aren't going to blind copy something to one week at same box. But uh, as someone who uses that feature, it's rock solid in the Apple one. Like, and then the other thing is they just show up in your inbox with no explanation. I'm like, why is this email from me to Steven in my inbox? You know, mm-hmm. like even just takes a minute to compute why it's even there. Right. And I uh, I feel like that feature needs a rework. Yeah, you can turn it off, uh, at least on the Mac. It's in settings, and you go into the settings, and it's in the general pane, and it's enable message follow-up suggestions. So uh, if it drives you batty, it can be turned off. 
the the last feature of showing the rich URL previews. So say that I want to email a friend of mine an article that you wrote. Yeah. Go to Safari, you know, get the URL, paste it into mail. And it it shows what most people just see as iMessage previews. So it pulls an image and the headline and stuff. And for me, I would just rather have the plain URL. Like uh, on the other end, if someone's not using mail, that's what they get. But a plain URL, I think, makes the email a little bit easier to to parse and to read. And maybe I'm old fashioned, but I would turn that feature off if I could. Well, I mean, it, but the thing is, it made progress this year, and mm-hmm. and it definitely is working for me. You know, on the days that it is working, <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, how about team communications? Yeah, so for me, this this has not really changed uh, at all in a long time. Uh, Relay FM basically runs on Slack, and my approach to Slack really hasn't changed. It's open all the time with the Relay Slack at the top. I'm in a, I'm in a handful of others, but uh, that is where our office is, and we have a bunch of public channels. Each show has a private channel, so I'm in a bunch of those. Even shows that I'm not on, like I'm in the focused one in case y'all need support for something. Yeah. And that's where really all work communication happens. And that's been really great because it means uh, that I can have work conversations there and, you know, f- private, you know, friendship conversations in, in messages. Uh, and so I, I like that division. You know, Slack has not evolved very much under its ownership. It was independent and then got sold to Salesforce a while back. And they've just, they ha- it's, it's basically the same tool it's always been. And it's, that's, it's a good tool. And I think Slack's yeah. best feature is the ability to integrate with other services. And so it's just as an example, I have GitHub plugged in to our Slack instance. And that means that if someone uh, opens an issue or a developer comments on something or there's a question in GitHub, I also I get notified in Slack. So I've turned all GitHub emails off, basically. And I can just get notified in a channel. If there's an open ticket and I can, I can close it or I can edit it or add a comment to it from within Slack. And the, the list of things that plug into it are a mile long. The GitHub one is probably just the one I interact with the most. But it's a great way to bring other tools into your workspace. And Slack's original promise was, you know, you're not going to need to email internally anymore. And that's true for us. Like, I very, very rarely get an email or send an email to somebody at work, right? On occasion, I'll forward something to somebody like, hey, I got this, but you need to see it or whatever. But 99 point something percent of my work communication is within Slack, uh, both on the Mac and, of course, mobile devices. Yeah, I mean, me too. Just thinking you and I, as much as we communicate, we rarely email each other. You know, it's just, it's a, and it's usually a customer support thing or something like that. It it has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the other stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. Slack is really paid off, and I don't really want them to try to revolutionize Slack. I'm afraid afraid of that, honestly, because <laughs> the stuff I needed to do, it does just fine. Um, my uh, stack is a little deeper for tech, uh, team communications. I, I talked earlier how I'm, I've moved like most of the Max Sparky stuff in Craft, and what I mean by that is like I've got a document for a field guide I'm working on, and in that document are the links to 
you know, all the stuff that I need and like the outline and stuff like that. And the people on the team all see that. Uh, the same thing goes for every blog post and every labs content and all that stuff. And so if they're working on it, they can leave a comment. If they have a question about it, they can leave a comment. And I, I pay attention to those in craft because it's related to generally content I'm working on. And we just communicate in there. We had tried, we have a Slack for the Sparky team, but it seems silly to me uh, to have to go to Slack and then go back to craft where the actual document was. And so, you know, fairly recently I said, you know, guys, let's just keep this simple. You know, craft is the truth for all the Max Sparky stuff. And Mm -hmm. you comment on it there. We have lists there. Um, I've even moved some of my lists out of my task manager that are real specific to a specific project. I don't need them cluttering up the task manager. So everything is kind of there in one place and that has been working out really great. So that, that is another team communication. And then I'm in a, um, I hate to say the word mastermind because I think it sounds so pretentious, but I'm in a group of friends who also make stuff on the internet and we talk weekly and we set that up in Basecamp years ago and we keep, keep it in Basecamp. And honestly, Basecamp is good for that for what mm-hmm. it is you know we're not doing a lot of technical stuff there it's just like notes and things like that and there are some basic lists in the calendar um but i've got my hands in in base camp and i know you're not a fan but i totally see why people like base camp i think that especially if you have a team of people who are not tech savvy you know people who are just you know doing their job uh, Basecamp is not very not the most efficient. It's not the most automation friendly. But in terms of like a user interface that anybody can understand and pick up, I think that they really excel at that. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I agree with you. It's a, it's a strength of Basecamp. I think even Slack is a little bit too nerdy for some people because it's you know you got rooms and private rooms. Like, what does all that mean? Uh, I think Slack also, and this is 100% a company culture issue. Uh, we don't have this at Relay, but uh, my last job, we used Slack. Slack was new then. And the expectations around Slack can be a little bit different than I think other tools like this. Like Slack is meant to be asynchronous, if that's how you want it to be. But I feel like a lot of people who use Slack or Teams or Discord, something like that for work, they feel pressure to make it synchronous. That as soon as you send me something, I have to respond. Or that, again, comes down to company culture and just expectations. But one of my favorite features in Slack is the ability to set a reminder for something. So if someone sends me something over the weekend that's not an emergency, and it it rarely is, then I can just say, hey, remind me of this Monday morning. And Monday morning at 9, I'll get a little message in Slack saying, hey, you know, David said this to you on Saturday. You asked me to remind you. Here it does. And so if you're using these tools and you feel pressure to always respond instantly or always be looking at it, like, just evaluate that. Because I don't think it has to be that way, but it does feel like there's some baggage around some of these some of these apps. And I think the way Basecamp works does a pretty good job at making that not the case, actually. The base camp feels very asynchronous, if that's what you want. But it's something to consider in all of these communication platforms. Okay, so first, a couple of questions there. Um, you're right. The uh, asynchronous versus synchronous communications is a cultural thing. And if you are, if people work for you and you're making them feel like they need to respond to you synchronously, like immediately, 
uh, you're actually shooting yourself in the foot. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully that word gets out there. And if you're, if you're subject to that, talk to your boss because it's, it's not good. <laughs> but the, um, when you say you have it remind you, are you just talking about using Apple reminders to remind you or using uh, something in, ba- in, a, in, um, in Slack for that? In, in Slack. So in every message in Slack, there's a little menu that comes up where you can add a reaction or make a thread. Yeah. Uh, underneath the little ellipses button, the, there is a remind me about this. And there's some defaults, like remind me in 20 minutes, remind me in an hour, remind me tomorrow, remind me next week. You can also customize, like, hey, remind me at 4.30 about this. And I use that all the time. Like, usually several times a week, I'll have a reminder pop up in Slack that someone sent me something that I either need to follow up on or I don't have the answer to and it's the weekend and they don't need it right now or whatever it may be. And it just it just built into Slack, and you get a little direct message from Slack itself telling you, "Oh, hey, you have these reminders." So those don't ever come out of Slack; they're just within sort of the Slack world. But it's something that um, that I use all the time. Okay, I didn't even know this was here, so I will start using it because I am terrible at this stuff, as Stephen knows better than anyone in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> I am not, you know, communications for me is, is very regulated and it's at a certain time of the day. I, I don't, nothing is synchronous in my life. Um, so, uh, this is good though. I need this. I need this in my yeah. life. So I'll put thank a link you for in, the in, I'll put a link in the show notes about sending a reminder. I sent it to you as well. It's, it's very helpful. Community communications, I think is a category for us at this point, right? Yeah. Um, the, this is not social media, but this is just, you know, uh, closed in communities with people that are in there with a right, not necessarily mm-hmm. just because they showed up one day and signed up for it. And again, this year seemed kind of like a turning point for discord. It did. I mean, we've been using it for the relay membership, which uh, MPU is a part of for coming up on two and a half years. But this is the year where I feel like a lot of other content people that we know, including you started discords for their own things um, it's also the first time that I joined a Discord solely based on interest and not because I was part of an organization or part of a membership or something. Sure. And I mean, from a, a nuts and bolts perspective, it's closely aligned with Teams or Slack in terms of kind of how it works. But it is a uh, it's also a tool that you can do streaming through and it has some sort some more like media features and Slack does. But it's been it's been great. And the moderation tools are really good. Like Slack, you can plug things into it. So like we have a couple of auto moderation things in the relay discord. If you say certain bad words, you know, the message will get deleted yeah. and you get a little notification of like, Hey, don't use that word. We're a family friendly yeah. server. Yeah. And those tools are really flexible and like Slack, you can build your own. And so we have some, some things that we're working on internally at relay that may end up being like a custom, you know, a custom discord bot, maybe part of it at some point. And that that's cool because it's, it's a way to customize it and then bridge the gap to, you know, other services or websites or whatever. I'm really impressed with it. I mean, I, cause I'm using it in the labs as well as the relay discord. And one of the things that labs people were saying was, Hey, I want some forums, you know, we wanted forums and, and I was able to build those in discord too. So it's all in one place. You know, people don't have to mm-hmm. go to one login for it. Um, and I don't know, I feel like discord is, is pretty good. Like you, I belong to several that, you know, aren't things related to me, you know, where I'm just a member and uh, like the obsidian discord is excellent. Um, and you're seeing these grow around certain apps and communities. 
So it's something, if you haven't checked it out yet, it's something to become familiar with because I think it's not going away. It is, it is not. Uh, I think in the world that we live in where a lot of people feel, uh, um, pr- uh, they feel a movement away from social media, let's call it that. Yeah. Yeah. That these, you know, semi private communities, you know, like the relay discord has like 4,000 people in it. Like it's private, but there's still 4,000 people in it, but it's yeah. not the wide, you know, wide internet. Yeah. In a way it's, it's a return to sort of you hung out on the forums you were interested in, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, growing up and honestly still to this day, I'm a member of forums, you know, for like the truck that I drive and the computers that I like and all those sorts of things. And discord kind of has some elements of that, even though nuts and bolts wise, it is like Slack. It has the feel of some of those, some of those forums. And I think it's pretty cool. And I think that they've distinguished themselves away from Slack and teams enough that they're going to continue to be successful for a long time. I think. Yeah. I mean, if you look at my history, even before Twitter got new ownership, I just don't spend that much time there. It has nothing to do with with what's going on now. But I find that if I have time for social media, I like to go into these forums because they're people that like, they're my people, right? They, They think about the same stuff I do. They obsess about what's the right task manager or whatever, you know, the subject of the day is. So I, I feel like those are great places for me to go and stretch that. And, uh, so that that's kind of where I'm at on it. I, I don't know. I, I, it'll be an interesting year if we do this show again next year to see how much social media we're doing compared to stuff like this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and of course, I want to throw in the MPU forums here as well, oh, yeah. which run on a software called Discourse. Uh, we just have it running on a server and we, we get all the tools that we need. And that form continues to be just an excellent place for tech support, really interesting conversations about Apple and software, all the things we talk about on the show, right? Like all that's in the forums too. And it's a great group of people and great conversation. And I I really enjoyed being in that community as well. Yeah. You know, when, when we set it up, there was resistance. I mean, and, and I'm so happy we did it, you know, the way we did it. And I love that it's its own thing out there. What I love is when I have a problem and I do a search and, and the MPU forums has the answer. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I've had that happen. <laughs> it's very Sometimes cool. there are threads I wrote on, which make me feel bad. Oh, you know, oh, like, I'm, yeah. like I'm losing my marbles, but <laughs> yeah, either way, it's cool. The thing where you Google something and you find your own blog post, you're like, oh, yes, pass I, me I solve this once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happens to me all the time, man. Especially if I just... Uh, if I'm working on like some tech history stuff and I start Googling around, it's like, Oh, I wrote about this eight years ago and totally <laughs> forgot about it. <laughs> this episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by one password. Go to onepasswordcom slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off your family account. Uh, I am a big fan of one password. So Steven, there is so much this application does. It is a great password manager but it's got some other features too. And one of which I'd like to focus on today are the secure notes. So what is a secure note? It is a text file that you can keep in one password. And that means that it is behind a second layer of security. So if someone gets to your phone and it's unlocked, they can get your Apple notes. But if they get to one password, they hit that block wall of one password security. Only after they open one password, can they get to the secure notes. So this gives me a great place to keep things 
that I really want to keep secure. Now, that starts for me with financial notes. I've got a bunch of them in here about bank accounts and things like that that I want to keep track of and have available to my phone, but not make it very easy for people to find. Uh, sort, of what, sort of related is social security numbers. Now, you really need to protect those carefully, but I occasionally need my kids and my wife's uh, social security number. So I just made a secure note and put those in there, and that's the place I go to find stuff like that. I also do health stuff. So like if I'm uh, taking notes on a doctor, I always put them in there every time I go to the doctor. And these notes, by the way, can be marked down so you can make them look pretty even though they're plain text. And so I keep notes, all of my doctor notes right in there. Uh, I just, once again, don't want people to be able to go through that stuff. And it's really easy to get in there and track it. I even have some stuff in there for Daisy too. So we both are up to date on whatever we need to do with our medical notes. So that's a good source for this. As I'm scrolling through here, I say I've got one for judge notes where I would keep notes on judges. Like there was one judge where if you put your hands in your pockets, he went crazy. So I had to make sure I remembered that every time I went into his courtroom. I don't really need this one anymore. I could probably get rid of that one, but I definitely wanted to keep notes about judges in a secure note. I didn't want that to get out, Uh, but I love the idea of having this database of secure notes on my phone at all times. And because it's one password, it's on everything. It's on my Mac, my phone, my iPad, even on my Apple watch if I want. So it's great. And uh, secure notes are something you should definitely be using if you already have one password. If you don't have one password, why not? Go check it out. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU. You get 20% off for your family account. So you can get started as we hit the new year, get good, safe password habits, and also have these great secure notes at your disposal. We uh, want to thank one password again for all their support of the Mac power users. They've been a longtime sponsor and we really appreciate it. And that URL one last time onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps. Go check it out today and start securing your passwords. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some miscellaneous apps and services that have just really ingrained themselves in our workflows. And I want to start with an old standby, but I think it's a good continuation of the social media conversation we just had a little bit in the previous chapter. Yeah. Uh, day one is obviously fantastic. We love it. Uh, it's owned by Automatic now, which are, is the group behind WordPress. They also own Pocket Cast and Tumblr and Simple Note. I've been very impressed with day one under this new ownership. Automatic seems like a company that really cares about what it makes. And I've heard their CEO be interviewed a few times. And it's been, um, it's been, I think it's done really well under them. In fact, I just I went through their blog posts earlier today and they launched a ton of just a ton of features this year alone. Like they yeah. added trash to the app. So if you delete a entry, it goes into the trash where then it can be restored or deleted permanently. It's yeah. a really good idea for a journaling app. Version history for individual entries, which I think is also really neat. And I think the biggest thing though is that the Android app got the encryption support that the iOS and Mac app have had for a long time um, and better feature parity with iOS. I know that was a very common complaint about day one. For a long time, they weren't on Android at all, but now they're there and Automatic seems to be really putting resources behind making the Android app as good as the iPhone app. And I mean, day one's been on all my devices and the dock and whatever. It's uh, It's been a constant for me but in this world of not being on Twitter anymore, 
you know, I end up opening day one and just jotting little sort of funny things down as as thing as things happen. Things that maybe I would have tweeted. I have a journal. I've, I've said this before, but I have a journal called Fake Twitter, and I just open that up and like <laughs> write the little thing down and then move on. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I keep you know I have spaces for different contexts, and like one of them is called communications, where I have Slack and email all that. I keep day one in the communications context and I consider it like communicating with myself. Um, you know, and I've been using it enough now that like when I open it up, it says, Oh, you have like, you know, 10 entries on this day over the years, you know, uh, today I have for today's entry, I have 17 entries for the day we're recording this show over the past years. Yeah. Wow. And I'm looking at it cause we're recording this right before Christmas. I'm looking at one with a picture of the whole family uh, celebrating Christmas one day year we got together early and um, it's just like going through and notes I'd taken. Let's see here. What's the oldest one. I've got one here uh, from 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, here, I'll put it, we can put it, share it in the note because there's nothing in here, but it was a Instagram post I did 10 years ago and it was all my dongles. I was on a trip speaking somewhere. <laughs> I think I was talking to a bar association somewhere that, cause I remember one year I almost got stuck for Christmas in Ohio. I think that's what this is, but it's just like, it's just fun having that history built up over the years. And, uh, and day one gives that to you and it gives you some context of your life. And, you know, we did a whole show on this early on your run with Mac power users. I don't know if we should come back to it at some point. I don't think our workflows have really changed much, but, uh, I still am crazy with lots and lots of day one journals, you know, and I make them for all sorts of things. You know, I have one for gardening now because I had so many gardening entries. I said, well, let's give it its own journal. And uh, it's just really nice, you know. So this one went up in December 19th, 2012. That's fantastic. Look, man, that looks like 2012. You got a bunch of mini display port and, yeah. and Thunderbolt <laughs> stuff, and it has a cool filter on it. Yeah. But, I, and I, you know, it's me journaling for 10 years in this tool and like i'm always interested in paper journaling you know uh, my friend chris bailey just wrote a new book called calm that chris has been on the show before and it is a great book and uh it's just you know talking about sometimes you need to separate the analog out of your life and he makes the argument you should be journaling uh, with a pen and paper more than digital and so i'm trying it again you know but every entry i write in a paper journal gets gets added to day one. Day one is the baseline for me. Anything I do gets in day one. It must, you know? It's the reason I continue to use If This Then That because they have great integration with If This Then That. Like this this post I just shared with you was a automation where I had posted an Instagram photo and I just put it in my journal. But uh, yeah, it's can't say enough good things about day one. And if you haven't had a journaling practice uh, we can put a link in the show notes to a YouTube webinar I did. It was a free webinar, I think last year or earlier this year, about journaling and just how you can use these tools. And I find them so useful. It's just a good way to kind of check in on yourself and keep track of things. We also spoke this year about time tracking. Um, this was a some, something that I've played with on and off over the years. I did it pretty heavily when I first went out on my own. And then I stopped and I picked it back up about a year ago. So for this year, I have the complete year's history of time tracking using Timery, which is a fantastic iOS, iPadOS, macOS app. It integrates with Toggle, which is a free time tracking service. I think we said on that episode that 
we hope that, you know, if something happens to Toggle, that Timery could just build, <laughs> Joe could just build his own <laughs> time tracking yeah. engine behind it. Uh, I don't envy that task if it comes to it, but I never look at to- Toggle and ever log into it. I don't pay for it. It's just the back end for uh, this app that, I mean, it's running right now. My MPU timer has been running for an hour. And when we're done, I'll hit stop and I'll know how much time I spent on MPU this week. Yeah. And I do like that idea of hitting buttons with it. It's like an intentionality exercise. It's like, yes. okay, now I'm done with MPU. Now I'm doing something else. So I need to focus on that. So I, I like that. Uh, so having done it a year, what kind of numbers do you have? I mean, are you, did you learn anything? Have you looked at your reports? I've looked a little bit. From what I've seen, nothing is super surprising to me. Like, my two big podcasts are the two biggest things, right? Connected and MPU. Connected has more hours because I edit Connected. I don't edit MPU sure. anymore. Sure. But it's it, it basically follows what I think it should in terms of what I spend my time on versus like what I make. Because, I mean, this is it's only work stuff in here. I don't track non-work time. And so yeah. it it lines up pretty well. Like, yeah, there's some things in here like, okay, I spend a lot of time on certain things, certain products that didn't make very much money, but I know that, okay, that's okay because I want to do that project. And it's really a reinforcement for me that I am on track, but day to day, the reason I keep doing it is that intentionality of, okay, I'm sitting down and I'm working on X. And if I stop working and I go do something else, I need, I want my timers to reflect that. And, and so it becomes sort of a, sort of a tool for accountability that, if I'm sitting down saying I'm working on MPU, that that's really what's going on. Yeah, we have an episode coming out um, in a few days. Actually, maybe next week. On um, it's really hard in my life, guys, because I record podcasts at different times, especially during the holidays. Yeah, <laughs> but but a future focused episode, a January third focus of uh, focused. I'm going to be talking about how I'm really like trying to drill in on intentionality at an almost unhealthy level, and timers are a good way to to get that. My big insight is. I spent a lot of time on the Max Markey Labs this year, but I totally expected that because it was the one new thing I was doing. So I had to invent the system this year. You know, we had to figure out how what are what are the things we ship and how do I get them made and how do we get them you know post production and get them out. So uh, I spent a lot of time this year on the process of that, which adds, and I, I expect next year that number will be lower. You know, and I'd like to yeah. see a higher number on field guides next year and a lower number on labs. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm in a place to do that. But I do find that time tracking helps. And and I especially like it um, not on the yearly basis, but on the weekly and monthly basis where you say, okay, you know, so how am I doing? Like it's a temperature check of yourself. And um, and it's, it's pretty useful. Uh, I'll, I'll give honorable mention to timing app too. You know, there's timing and there's uh, timery. Yes. Both good. Timing is got some cool new features they're working on. I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to say anything. So I, I I'm running it right now, playing with those unsaid new features. Yeah. And yeah. there's some exciting stuff coming to timing. Timing is uh, a bit more I mean, it is sort of automatic because it, it just sees what you're yeah, <laughs> what you're doing, but it is uh it's a really cool alternative if that fits what you need better. Yeah, yeah. Good good options. Good mm-hmm. options. I want to touch on blogging as well. So this is something that you and I both do a lot of that we really don't talk about on the show, uh, really hardly at all. But again, this may be something that more people explore in the coming uh, time period with 
Twitter and other social media companies sort of doing what they're doing. Uh, so for me, it's 512pixels. Uh, it runs on WordPress. It's run on different things over the years, but it's been a WordPress for a long time now. And I tend to, well, I tend to only deal with 512 at my Mac. Like if I have a typo or something or something really short, I'll do it from my phone. But WordPress, while it has a mobile optimized UI, like I just, I don't, I'd much rather do it on my Mac. And that is mostly because of Mars Edit, uh, which just got bumped to version five uh, just in the last few days. And uh, Mars Edit is a, is a Mac app. It integrates with WordPress and micro.blog and a couple of other systems where you can type or copy in text uh, into a field. You can do your title, your tags, your categories, and then you send it to the blog. Like if this sounds like an email client, it kind of is like, it's not actually using email, but it, it kind of is like an email client and version five does a lot of cool stuff. My favorite thing is markdown syntax highlighting because I write everything on five pixels in markdown. And then I have a plugin that deals with that. So it renders HTML in your browser and uh, Mars edit is the way I publish 99% of stuff to the site. And that means I'm doing it on the Mac and I'll even write long form things in Mars edit. I used to always write long form things in Byword or IA writer. And I still do that if something's really long or is very image heavy, but most of the things I'm publishing on 512 kind of day to day, I just open up Mars edit and, and fire it off. Yeah, Mars Edit is something I want to explore as we head in the new year. So that's not tech that worked for me yet. <laughs> but the um I so for many years I ran the Max Sparky off Squarespace. Yeah. And I moved it to WordPress. And I really am happy with the move. I mean, I'm not happy with how much money I'm spending. It is, you know, it's quite a bit of money to run my blog. Um, you know, between the traffic and the developer costs and things, it's it's not cheap. Yeah. I was much, I was much happier when I was spending the um, Squarespace cost. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Uh, but for, you know, as I kind of, my business grew up this year, I stopped doing the other one and I'm putting everything into this one. It had to get a grown up website too. And, um, and with the memberful stuff and the labs, it, it really needed Squarespace. I'm sorry, WordPress. I am all that said, if you set aside the money, I, I really like WordPress for years. Uh, I tried it, you know, Max Sparky ran on WordPress originally, but those were the battle days where there were all kinds of problems and every plugin could get you hacked and all that. Yeah. I just haven't experienced any of that now. It's it's so much more stable than it used to be. And it's so much more of a mature platform. And honestly, if you're going to use WordPress, I almost recommend do getting somebody to help you on the back end to make sure everything's, you know, good. But um, I've been really happy with it. And one of the advantages of the switch is I can now use Mars Edit. So I'm going to be looking into that but currently the way i write a blog post or really anything for the internet usually starts in ia writer and that's something i haven't really talked about on mac power users maybe ever um but uh i used byword for ages i don't know how long i used byword but one day i decided there was like a sale i bought ia writer and i just really like it. it it is like the least you know um it's just a very low stakes text editor, but it's very pretty and it's very easy to use. And I really dig it. And um, uh, so I write stuff in there. 
Um, I also use the Grammarly service, which has we've talked about recently, so I won't go super deep on that. But it's the only grammar checker I've ever had any respect for. And it does a pretty good job. You, you can't, you know, some of its advice, I think, is frankly wrong. And it doesn't learn. Like, you know, there's a thing I do, Stephen, that I know is technically wrong, but I just cannot break myself of not doing it any other way. And that's the quotes, the way you handle quotes in a period. Whenever you have a quote, of a person talking or some kind of quote, and then you have a period, you're finishing the sentence, you're technically supposed to put that period inside the closing quote. And I always put it outside. Yeah, a lot of people do. I know as a journalist major, you're probably cringing, but <laughs> I feel like it's more accurate, you know, because it wasn't their period. It's my period, you know? Uh, so I always do that. And it, it seems like I have had Grammarly tell me to fix that like 10,000 times, it feels like. I mean, at some point, Grammarly, just learn that I'm not going to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so stuff like that. But I, I think it's a worthwhile service, and it's a great, like, first pass at stuff. And then I'm going to, from there, uh, once I get it through there, then I will put it in craft, and the other people on my team can read it and see it. And yeah. then, you know, eventually makes its way to the internet. Mm-hmm. But uh, so there's like a workflow and that's just not blog posts for me. That's newsletters and just kind of anything I publish kind of goes through that, that system. Uh, do you think that you will be using AI in the next year to do some of that work? Uh, I think so. I mean, I've have it on all my devices. I've used ByWord for like a decade and I'm sorry, AI meaning artificial intelligence. Oh, I thought you meant IA writer. Yeah. Yeah. I am using IA Writer more and more. I've not been impressed with um, the AI robots writing stuff. Yeah. Uh, I spoke a couple of weeks ago how I had it, had it rewrite a bunch of uh, Apple press releases. Uh, well, last week, I also had it uh, do some research for me on a couple of old Mac models, and it got everything wrong. It was very confident in what it said, even though what it said was incorrect. And I don't, I don't think that's going to be a big thing for me, but I will, I will second the, everything you said about Grammarly. It's a great first pass. I do not have the Mac app. Like it, they have a, an app that basically inserts itself into every text field you have on your Mac. I didn't like that. Um, so I use basically their, their web editor. Where I'll copy and paste something into it yeah. and check it out. And then I have, I do have the browser plugin installed. So if I do show notes in our CMS, they're they're not riddled with <laughs> with typos. But no yeah. automated system can catch everything. And uh I, I think you're right in having humans look over things before they go out the door. We did a great uh thing in the labs this year where we built a um a keyboard maestro grammarly um uh, uh automation. And so you trigger it and it copies, just follow along with me mentally here. It copies the text, then it goes to the Grammarly website. And the problem with the Grammarly website is there's not like a, um, a menu where you can like select from menu. Here's a new document. Instead, there's a button on the screen. So it uses that cool feature in Keyboard Maestro where it looks for an image on the screen. And so it loads the Grammarly website. It waits like three seconds. So it has time to load the button. And then it looks at the button and presses it. And then it pastes the text. And I use that every day. I love that, that little shortcut so much. But it's, it's very hacky, right? Because it's, it's literally looking for a picture on the screen. But it works. And uh, just to get your text into Grammarly on the web browser, that is like the way to go. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. 
This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. With Squarespace, you can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, products, services, and even content. Squarespace lets you grow your business using useful insights. Have you ever wondered where site visitors are coming from? How you landed that sale? What channels are the most effective? Well, you can analyze that all in Squarespace. And once you have that data, you can improve your website and build a marketing strategy around it. The same thing goes for Squarespace email campaigns. You can sign up visitors to become email subscribers. You can customize the email template so it matches your website, it matches your brand. And all of those insights are also available with email. So you can see what email is doing out in the real world, what people are being impacted by the messages you're sending. I absolutely love building on Squarespace. Last month, we were doing our Relay membership sale that just wrapped up. It runs in November and December. I built it on Squarespace. The site looked awesome. It was great on mobile as well. Had these beautiful galleries, big images, nice colors. And it was really easy to put together. I really recommend Squarespace for anyone looking to build a website. To get started building your website, head to squarespace.com slash MPU for a free trial. There's no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU for 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the Mac Power users. Our thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring the show and supporting Relay FM. Let's talk a little bit about audio and video production. I know not everybody does that, but you and I do a lot of it. Um, what is the tech that's working for you right now in that department? My my audio setup has been the same for a long, long time. Uh, I do all of my recording in the just excellent, excellent audio hijack by our friends over at Rogue Amoeba. If you do anything with sound on your Mac, they have a tool for you. Uh, I have a bunch of saved uh, templates in there. So I can just kind of pick what I'm doing and record it all. And then I do my editing still in Logic Pro, which is like using, I don't know what the analogy is. It's like using a jet fighter, you know, to like dust your crops in the field. Like it's so overkill for what I use it for. I use, you know, 6% of what Logic can do. I am, I don't know anything, but I am hopeful that Ferrite, which just got an update on the iPad, that Ferrite does come to the Mac at some point. I don't know, um, but boy, I would like that because Ferrite is a podcast editor, and it just does that, right? I don't need I don't need like drum loops that I accidentally when I hit the wrong key command <laughs> that I all of a sudden are in my face when I'm trying to edit something. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, so Logic continues to be something that I that I use a ton. I'm very proficient in it in what I do. I'm a very fast editor in Logic now. But I'd like to use something a little bit a little bit more directly involved with what I actually needed to do. So for audio, uh, I have Logic Pro and use it on occasion. I used to use it a lot more than I do now. I have been kind of going to Fission, which oh, yeah. you turned me on to. Fission's which great. Is the audio. And like, so a lot of the audio edits stuff I do is very basic and Fission does a great job of that. And I like the simplicity of it. Uh, and Audio Hijack just is like the tool. If you're making podcasts, it's something you just have to have in your belt. And um, Paul and those guys just 
do such a great job of doing that in an environment where Apple doesn't necessarily make it easy to make tools to do the kinds of stuff Audio Hijack does, you know, and they still find ways to make it work. Uh, on the video side, uh, ScreenFlow is just the app. I get emails all the time from people saying, how do you make screencasts? And it's just one word, ScreenFlow. I mean, and over the years, it, uh, there have been other apps that do like parts of it, but none of them kind of add up to what ScreenFlow does for me. And I just, this is a, a no brainer. If you want to learn how to screencast, get ScreenFlow. End of story. You know, uh, uh, it does everything. And, and a lot of the stuff I can do my titling in and stuff like that as well. Uh, this year I'm doing more video of my face and I'm, I'm using final cut more and not as much as screen flow, but it is definitely in the mix for me a lot more now than it has been historically. And so I'm using the Apple apps largely, but uh, for screen casting, screen flow is the way to go. And then, you know, a sprinkling of rogue amoeba in there as well. <laughs> I think final cut is more approachable than logic is to a beginner. Uh, but they're also, and I, I use final cut when I edit video, but there are also, um, more alternatives to Final Cut than there are to Logic, at least on the Mac. And so you can use something like DaVinci Resolve or Adobe Premiere, even iMovie if your needs are really simple. But um, I think Apple's done a really amazing job, especially with Final Cut, but to Logic to a lesser extent, at really making sure these apps really sing on Apple Silicon. Final Cut Pro on an Apple Silicon Mac can do things that my old Mac Pro with an Afterburner card couldn't dream about doing. Yeah. And and do it smoothly. And if you're just editing a couple of 4K clips together, you could do it on a MacBook Air, and it's going to be super fast. It's it's so impressive what they've done with it. And I know Final Cut's not everyone's cup of tea. Like I know a lot of professional editors really kind of roll their eyes at it. But for what you and I do, and what a lot of people do, uh, it's fantastic. And the prices have yeah. really come down. These apps used to be like seven hundred dollars, and now they're not. Now they're you know much more affordable, which is cool. I love that you said, if you just want to do something like put some 4K video together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that used to be like not a just statement, just like that used no. to be like a monumental thing. That used to be, <laughs> a, you need like a Pixar rendering farm. Um, yeah. But you know, we're yeah. all shooting it on our iPhones, right? And it's it's amazing how far this has come. I really think this stuff is just a lot easier now. Another uh, small category, I mean, there's not a lot of apps here, but... Uh, mind mapping is still very much a thing for me. It's a way that I work through problems and ideas. And I've looked at, I spent a bunch of time this year looking at uh, alternate services. Like mind node has historically been my mind mapping app, mm -hmm. but I look you know, like there's a bunch of cool online diagramming stuff. There's some mind mapping online tools um, there, you know, you know, Apple's kind of entering the space. We're going to be talking about that in a few weeks. Uh, but I, I still love MindNode. I Me mean, too. it's just so good. And like they did a feature in that app a couple of years ago, which I don't think we've ever mentioned on the show, but they've added an outliner to it. So you can write an outline and have it render as a mind map or write a mind map and have it render as an outline. So you can kind of really feed both sides of your brain with it. And, you know, that's another app where there is a team that is just constantly making it better. And, as users, we get that benefit and it's just a great app and I continue to use it. Like I said earlier, sometimes I have full screen calendars. Sometimes I also have a full screen mind map when I'm working through a problem. I just keep it there and I can just click over to it anytime I think of another thing to do to it. 
I mean, this goes back to old school Mac Power Users, the thinking idea or uh, cooking ideas show. Yeah. Which was like under 100 episode 100. It was like, it was early. Uh, it was the, early. Uh, maybe we'll go back to that someday. But the, uh, I mean, the workflow hasn't changed. Just get a mind map and go into it frequently and you'll be surprised at the results you get, mm-hmm. you know, and and my node is the the choice. I, I did look at other things this year, and I didn't find anything I like better. Yeah, I think my node's the the one to go with, and I absolutely love that split view between the outline and the mind map because I tend to think more in outline. But when you have a mind map, when you have it visually laid out, you you see connections between things that you wouldn't just get in text. And having them side by side, like both sides of my brain can be engaged in what I'm doing. And of course, Mind Map is, is an excellent cross-platform app as well. So it's on the Mac, but it's also on the iPad and the iPhone. And so you can have it with you at all times. And I think like a lot of apps like this, it's actually pretty dang good on the iPad. You know, you have your Apple Pencil and you can kind of put things together and move things around. They've done a really good job with it. I think my note is definitely the winner in sort of this this area. Yeah, and that, that's another thing I'll do because I have my iPad under my Mac all day. I I will open up a mind map on the iPad and just have it there, you know, present all day, mm-hmm. uh, and I can add to it and play with it as I get through the day. I mean, they uh, they have really done a lot, and the iPad app like is really good. Yeah, you know, that's something I know they spent a lot of time on this year, but. That one continues to stand tall for me. Graphics. Let's talk about graphics. Um, you and I are not professional graphic artists, but we Ooh. do have need on occasion. The uh, This year, I had one really land for me because I, I have been kind of bouncing around apps. And uh, this year, I decided, well, I, I need to get good at one of them. And Pixelmator Pro, I've always liked the company. I like their model. You know, you pay them. It's not a subscription base. And Pixelmator Pro... Just got some really killer features this year. Like, like even just like dumb things. Like, I wanted to get some. I had some old wallpapers that I really liked, but they're super pixelated, and they have a machine learning thing there that yep. that increases the resolution of your image. It's like it's like magic, you know. And you get like really high res images that look great. And but I also use it like for making field guide covers and like anything I do graphics based. Um, I find Pixelmator Pro is uh, is worth it. Yeah, I mean my the 6K wallpaper library I have on five twelve pixels. A lot of those were done in Photoshop with their enlargement stuff, but Pixelmator Pro has taken that over. Uh, there's another app that works for me in this space, and it's another one I subscribe to. It's OmniGraffle. Um, I just renewed that one. I thought about it, honestly, about not renewing it. But then I look at all the stuff I make in it. It's so good for making diagrams, which to me are, you know, it's different than MindNote. MindNote is a mind mapping app and OmniGraffle is a diagramming app. Mm-hmm. But I, I think visually. So having an easy way to create diagrams is really great. And I've learned, kind of grew up with OmniGraffle, so I know it really well. But like it does things like magnetically attach things and like all the little tools it has uh, make diagramming super easy and super polished. You know, even when you do a rough diagram in OmniGraffle, it looks like it was done by a professional. So I really like that. And uh, I just renewed that one too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like Pixelmator Pro. I only use it for a couple of specific things, mostly the ML enlargement tools. Um, yeah. 
I'm an Adobe Photoshop and Design Illustrator for those for the the design that I do for uh, for work. I just never went down that rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. they got me in college, and I can't get out. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I know it's good. I I got there uh, for a while. I subscribed to their PDF application, um, which name is Casey uh, Acrobat. Acrobat, of course. How can I forget that? But. You know, like when I did the paperless field guide, I, I got a year and used it. And it's good. I mean, but I just didn't feel like it was worth subscribing to. Yeah. What about uh, Read It Later apps? Oh, man. Read It Later apps. Well, we're going to talk about that today on More Power Users. But I, I'm using Reader with two E's still. But I feel like I need to, this is a space that I need to um, spend some time on. Yeah. For me, it's been, uh, it's been good links. Uh, I've talked about it in the past. It's really clicked for me. It's a very simple application uh, on the surface of it, but once you dig in, it's got some cool features. It has tagging. It's got good uh, share extension and shortcut support. And I like having this separate from my RSS entries for some reason. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad or why, but I, I tend to like them in the separate places. And Good Links also could import my old uh my old instapaper history so if i open good links i've got like ten thousand red items because it's my entire instapaper history is in there yeah so i'm still using instapaper and mm-hmm. i looked at alternatives i just feel like this is an area that i need to revisit like i don't know if i'm doing this necessarily right at this point but i am using instapaper um and I still am very much a fan of this Readwise service, um, that like the spaced repetition where you know daily you go and read your highlights. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, but I just I don't think I've got it all figured out here. But Reader I've used for years. I like it. They've got both the ability to parse feeds for you and view them for you, whereas a lot of these other services you've got to have a separate RSS service. And and you can use Reader separately which we'll talk about yeah. in the pro show but yeah it can be all self-contained now which is cool i'm willing to spend a little money if it's what it takes to make this a better process for me but i don't know what it is yet so i'm looking forward to talking to you about this today yeah screenshots this year we both became screenshot x we became those people that won't stop talking about screenshot x this year we uh, we did so. This is Mike Hurley's fault. Uh, he he brought this to yeah. both of our <laughs> attention. Uh, Clean yeah. Shot X or Ten, I don't know how they say it. Is menu bar app? It you it can take over the standard screenshot keyboard shortcuts. So if you've Mac OS Ten for twenty years and Command Shift Four is ingrained into your left hand, well that's fine. You can use that, and Clean Shot X can can pick it up, uh, which is very cool. It it has options to automatically copy or save, you know, anywhere in your file system. And its editing tools are really good too. I even images I don't take in CleanShot, sometimes I'll open a CleanShot to annotate. Like their their annotation tools are just I think a little bit better and nicer than what Preview has, and they have some redaction stuff that Preview doesn't have. And it's uh it's great. Version 4.5 is like brand new as we're recording and I've just, I've been very happy with it. I, I never thought I needed more than what the system had, but turns out I did. And it's really pretty sweet. Yeah. Well, you know, ego is the enemy, right? So I, I felt like I was such a badass 
at all the variations of the built-in screenshotting system <laughs> that there was no way I needed an app, right? You know, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I can do, I know the trick where you hit the space bar and I know the trick where you hold down the control key. And I, like, I know all the tricks. So I felt like I did not need this app. And I finally got started using it. I'm like, ah, I need this app. It's like, it just does more. You know, it, it, you can put a background behind an image. You can do, uh, there's just a lot of stuff you can do. And I think because you and I make our living talking about software, this is of a particular need to us. I don't know if everybody feels the same way about it, but if you use images from the internet or ever find yourself taking screenshots, just give it a try. It is so good. And I wrote a post for Max Berkey called Eating Crow yeah. on Clean Shot X. <laughs> I saw that. Because I really, I didn't want to like it. You know what I mean? I'm like, ah, oh, I'm too good. I don't need this, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you yeah, know, ego is the enemy, baby. Yeah, what, what can you do? Um, yeah, it's interesting because even in the last couple of releases of Mac OS, the screenshot built-in tools have become uh, more interesting where you can have, uh, you get this palette at the bottom of the screen and you have all your controls there. You can get a little thumbnail so it kind of is temporarily visible before it saves it or copies it. Apple's come a long way with it. And so in a way you would look at CleanShot X and say, well, those features really overlap a lot more than uh, than they used to, but I, I think it still stands above the rest. I mean, one feature it has that I don't use, but I think a lot of people probably do, is it also has its built-in upload service. So you can take a screenshot and post it somewhere on the internet and you get a URL to do that. Now, I just put those on the 512 server and I get a URL back automatically with shortcuts, but if you're looking for sort of a, I just need a place to put something quickly to send somebody a link, it has that built into. Yeah. It's just, you know, I think there's a theme here where you find apps that have developers that are super mindful about what they're making and want to just make it the best version of that. Mm -hmm. And when you find one like that, boy, that really just changes your game. And this is that for screenshots. Somebody said, I want to make something that's the best possible app for screenshots. And if you take screenshots, you can use the built-in stuff. That's fine. But if that's not enough for you, you'll be surprised what you can do with something like CleanShot X. So in terms of Mac automation, we continue to live in the shortcuts time, the shortcuts era where it's been on the Mac a couple of years now. They have not moved as quickly as I think some people would like. Things like uh, Automator are still alive and well. Uh, where do you see this kind of landing this year for you? Any big changes? Because for me, I feel like it's been it's been relatively stable. Now, see, I am actually really, really satisfied with Mac automation right now. I feel like this year was banner. And that shortcuts got a lot better. I mean, and that's partly because it started off pretty weak um, on the Mac. Yeah. But they've, they fixed a lot of that. And, you know, just kind of like seeing the stuff on the inside, like certain people moving around that have long history of automation on the Mac, on the team, you can tell they're... You know, their efforts are are showing up, and uh, so it's much more stable on the Mac. It's much more powerful. It's still not powerful enough. Like we were talking about Apple Mail earlier in the show, and like you can have it open a specific inbox or a mailbox on your phone, but you can't do that on the Mac. It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. uh, tab groups, like uh, I am getting into Safari tab groups. I don't know when we're going to talk about it here, but I am like. I'm like all in with that. Sorry, Safari tab groups at this point. Uh, but you can have a shortcut on your phone or your iPad to say, open this tab group, but you can't on the Mac. So obviously there's work to be done. But 
the thing that really changed this year is with these new um, updates to the systems we got with the uh, latest releases of the operating systems, it's easier for developers to build shortcuts automations. So we're starting to see that propagate kind of throughout the app ecosystem with these developers that we like. We also got, this is the year that they all learned to talk to each other. Keyboard Maestro can send, uh, can trigger a shortcut. Um, a, a shortcut can trigger a Keyboard Maestro <laughs> script. Hazel can can trigger a shortcut. So you can say, use all of Hazel's awesome power to figure out that this is a document I want to do something to. And then trigger a shortcut to add it to OmniFocus or put it somewhere. You know, just, you know, all these things are now talking to each other. So we have a super set of Mac automation now that I don't even think a lot of people realize exists. But uh, you can use the very best parts of Keyboard Maestro with the very best parts of shortcuts. And that is only going to get better in the next year. I think um, we're in a really good place for Mac automation right now. And it's a year where a lot of the the true like long-term players, like Better Touch Tool and Keyboard Maestro and Hazel have all seen meaningful movement forward i mean better touch tool uh adopting shortcuts integration right actually most of these have like bringing in what apple's doing into their apps as well has been really cool i think something like better touch tool you know it kind of started life as oh it's this thing to customize like your mouse and trackpad like it's come so far and it and keyboard maestro have have done I think a really good job over the last last couple of years, but I think last year in particular of really moving the ball forward. Yeah, Better Touch Tools had a banner year. If yeah. you have not played with that app, you should check it out. And if you're interested in shortcuts, you should get Better Touch Tool because he added all the steps to shortcuts that Apple wouldn't, um, like you know trigger a menu item and and you know things that make total sense, but just Apple for whatever reason hasn't included. So. Better touch tool, yes, big exclamation point. Uh, for me this year, and I've noticed in the last six months, I am increasingly going to shortcuts to start automations. Hmm. Um, still need Keyboard Maestro, but uh, there are things I can do now on shortcuts on Mac that I didn't think I'd be able to do this soon. So yeah. I don't know. I'm very excited about automation, particularly on the Mac right now, because I just feel like we've got all these great tools, and you don't need to be a programmer to use any of these. Yeah, th- that's right. I mean, People praised workflow long before Apple bought it and turned it into shortcuts of you have these sort of drag and drop elements and you can tap on them and see what they're doing. And Better Touch Tool and Keyboard Maestro are the same way, right? You can you can look at what someone else has done and you see how it's done and you can modify it and change it. And that's one of the great things about these tools is that a lot of people are really willing to share what they make in them. I don't know how many shortcuts I have or things in Keyboard Maestro that started life as something you or Jason Snell or somebody else wrote and just blogged about it, <laughs> or Federico, right? And I download it, and then I tweak it to, to do what I want it to do. And it's a great way to learn, uh, is to, to check those things out and see what other people are doing with them. And I think this continues to be just one of the greatest selling points for Mac OS to power users in general. You have all of these tools, right? On iOS and iPadOS, you've got shortcuts. But on the Mac, you have all of these other things. Some of them integrate with shortcuts, some of them don't. But anything you can think of to automate on the Mac, chances are you can do it. And that's just not true of other platforms. Even on Windows, uh, there's not really sort of the deep 
system level stuff that macOS has had for a long time for these things. And if you're in business like we are, like production type businesses in particular, things where you do a lot of tasks over and over, you can probably automate a lot of it. And that's cool. Yeah, and, th- and this year, my deep and abiding love for the Stream Deck even grew deeper and more abiding. I'd, you mean your three Stream Decks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, technically four, if you continue, if you count the pedal. <laughs> but the uh, uh, it's just you know, it's just so nice to have a, a set of buttons on my desk here where I can make stuff happen. And you you combine that with a love of automation, and like I. When we start recording today, I push a button on my stream deck and the whole screen arranged itself for us to make this episode and like just little things like that. It's, it's just great. And, uh, this year I went even harder at stream deck. Yeah. How many buttons did you say you have in front of you now? 68. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, 68. Well, let me revise that. So I've got two thirty-two panels. So that's 64 and I've got eight with the, uh, with the stream deck plus. So that gets me to 72. And then I've got four knobs, so I'll count that as a button. Okay. 76, and then there's three on the pedal, so 70, 79. There we go. I think you need like <laughs> five more and you'd, you'd be there. Yeah, I, exactly. You know, if I just had two <laughs> more, that, that's all I would really need. I still have two, em- two empty spots on my Stream Deck XL. I don't <laughs> Yeah. Well, we, I think we need to come back to this at some point, but the, the short version is, since I have two, the top one is permanent. Mm-hmm. And the bottom one is is dynamic, and it's it's been working out great. You know, like when we record Mac Power users, I've got a whole set of thirty two buttons to, dedicated to this show. You know, and I don't use them all, but I don't need necessarily need them all. But it's nice having the availability of them. Like we were talking about timers earlier, I've got a button here I can press to start the timer or whatever. You know, all the stuff is just there, and uh, I'm building it out over time. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MPU and find the right doctor right now. Sign up for free. We should definitely spend more time picking a doctor than we do a taco restaurant, but for a lot of us, that's just not true. Well, ZocDoc makes it easy to find quality doctors in your network and in your neighborhood. Plus, with real verified patient reviews, you can find the right doctor for you. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. You can find every specialist under the sun with ZocDoc, whether you're trying to straighten those teeth or fix an achy back or get a mole checked out, anything, ZocDoc has got you covered. And the mobile app is as easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or getting a delivery to your house. Just search, find, and book doctors with a few taps. In ZocDoc, you can find reviews of local doctors, Read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments. Now, when you walk into that doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network who gets you. So find the doctor that is right for you and book an appointment in person or remotely that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. It's their go-to whenever they need to find and book a quality doctor. I've used ZocDoc because I don't trust those little sheets the insurance company gives me. You know, when you ask them for a list of doctors, they give you this list that was printed a year ago, and most of the doctors on it are no longer in program. So you call them and you try and make an appointment only to find out they don't carry your insurance. And the other thing is with those insurance forms, you just get a name and a phone number. You don't know anything about these doctors. ZocDoc fixed both of those things. It's always up to date. It gives you a list of people in your program, and you get to see the reviews so you know whether or not you're getting a doctor that works for you. 
Anybody who needs medical services should check out ZocDoc. It really is the way to go. So go to ZocDoc.com slash MPU. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MPU. The app is free. And then you can start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. Once again, that's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MPU. The URL, one last time, ZocDoc.com slash MPU. Go check it out today. And our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. But let's switch over to hardware, though. What about hardware? And, and this, you know, we're already pretty long into this episode, but just generally at, as we hit the end of the year, how how are you doing with your, your Apple hardware? Yeah, I'm I'm fully Apple Silicon. You know, I, I ran a, the 2019 Mac Pro, and then I moved to the Mac Studio this year when it came out. I have it mounted under my desk, and it's fantastic. I mean, being on Apple Silicon everywhere is really nice. It's so powerful. It's so, uh, well, it's a desktop, so the power efficiency doesn't matter quite as much as a laptop. But I know it's efficient. It's not running up my power bill. And I've been, I've been really happy with my ongoing desktop plus notebook setup. I did play with the idea for a while. Like, well, what if I just did, you know, one really nice, like 14 inch MacBook pro and it's my desktop. And then when I leave, I take my computer with me, but ultimately I don't need all the power in the world on my notebook. In fact, I'm using a MacBook air now, totally fine for what I do on, do on my notebook. Uh, and I like, I like, I just, I like having a desktop. I like having, all of my stuff plugged in all the time. Uh, you know, I've got audio gear and lights and stream deck and all sorts of stuff. And having it just always be here, ready to go, is really something I value. And so I think for the foreseeable future, I'm going to continue on this dual computer lifestyle of having, you know, not the the highest end desktop, but pretty high end. Like I, I don't have the, what what is the max or the, I don't have the ultra. I've got the max in my, uh, Mac Studio, so I don't have the most powerful system on a chip. Uh, yeah. Same thing with my Mac Pro. I didn't have the highest of high end. I had a, a pretty medium spec Mac Pro. But that with a notebook, it, it works for me, and I've continued to be happy with that arrangement. So what about the noise? That was a big issue with the studio when it first went out, and I know that yeah. you, like, you you mounted it under the desk. Yep. <laughs> is, it, is that a, is that an ongoing thing or where does that stand? Under the desk, I don't hear it. And my microphone doesn't hear it. If it's on the desk, like under the display, like how it is in all of Apple, Apple's fancy <laughs> marketing images, yeah. then I can hear it. And it was just annoying to me to always have that sort of like white noise in the background. Yeah. But mounted under, under the desk, it's completely quiet. And it means that the cable managers have a standing desk is really easy because all the stuff, all the cables are already under there and now the yeah. computer's just under there and everything is nice and neat. Yeah, no, totally get it. I, so I have the desktop, des- desktop laptop and the laptop laptop. Isn't that what they call it now? The, yeah. Where you got <laughs> yeah. The one. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I bought the, the M one MacBook pro and that thing is an amazing computer. And especially when we were doing the construction and I had to work in a different room every day, I was super glad I had it with the big screen. But since I've moved into the new studio, uh, I have not unplugged it from my from my uh, pro display. It's plugged in, I guess, semi permanently at this point. I mean, I just have not had cause to get it out. And I have the little MacBook Air, the M2 MacBook Air, that I, if I need to do a little Mac computing away, that works great. And I am, um, 
I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to call it. 2023 is a year that I'm not going to buy a Mac. Hmm. Going to call it right now. Going to write that down. Yeah, you should. Because, I mean, there's a good chance (laughs) you are going to be able to to really have some fun with that. But I don't think I will. I mean, this, this M1 Pro is great. It is better than I deserve to have. So the M2, the M3, I don't think I'm going to need a new one for a while, right? Um, and I think these computers are going to run for a long time because of the integration. I just don't see that I need a new computer at this point. It's it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'll, I'll be surprised if, if I get tempted into buying one because it's just what I have is just perfect. And yeah. who, who wants to mess things up when you've got it working for you? But it is funny to me how little I use the 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 pro out. I don't. I just don't use it as a screen computer mm-hmm. at all. I haven't not in the last couple months at least. I let's just. I'll be curious to see how that goes in the next year. You know, it's still early days, but I just don't think I'm going to be you know using that great display it has very often. Yeah, but what's nice about it is you have it if you need. If it. I need it, yes, exactly. Right. And right. If, if I need I more than my MacBook Air on a trip, like. Too bad. <laughs> I've got the MacBook yeah. Air. I gave my 14-inch yeah. MacBook Pro to my wife. I'm not yeah. getting it back. No, I agree. In fact, as I said those words, I was thinking people are listening going, oh, he's setting us up. He's going to go buy a studio because of that statement. No, I, honestly, if this thing died today, I think I'd buy another MacBook Pro. They're really good. They're really good computers. Yeah. I, I do need to update you on my dual display setup. Okay, yes, yes. We've been talking about this. Uh, mostly, I think, in the members version of the show where I've I've had a Pro Display XDR since 2019. Yeah. I got it with the Mac Pro. Yeah. I did not pay full price. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had an in there. Uh, but recently, I drug out my wife's old 4K LG Ultrafine. Yeah. Put it vertical next to the monitor. Fell in love with it. Just absolutely love it. Uh, having a secondary display that is mostly like timery and reminders and like right now audio hijack is over there so i can see it at all times Uh, but i really like this setup um so much so that i have dedicated myself to remaining in the dual desktop display lifestyle you you buying a new stand for it i mean in a in a way uh Uh oh uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> so I uh, sold my Pro Display XDR. What? And bought two studio displays with the adjustable <laughs> stand and pocketed <laughs> some, some pretty serious cash. Oh, Steven, you saved, you, you dropped this on me. You did that on purpose. I know. Yeah, all it says in the show note is Steven's display setup. Um, yes. So I just got it all set up. Yeah, wires are everywhere. I'm shocked this is actually recording. Two displays that are the same. I found the XDR a good home. I got a great yeah. price for it. It paid for both of these monitors and then some. So I yeah, feel like I've sure made out did. pretty pretty good there. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah. Good for you, man. Studio display is really nice. The speakers are pretty good. I wish they were louder. Um, I, I'm going to play with SoundSource. I want, which is yet another Rogamia app. I want to see if SoundSource can make music come out of both of them because that, yes. that would be sweet. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've got one right in front of me and one off to the left at an angle, and they look the same. They're all thunder thunderbolts, so like I'm still having stuff, you know, come off the back of them. And um, I mean, I missed the pro display size. Uh, I mean, 27 is smaller, but I got two of them now, which is nice. But I yeah. was not using 
the pro display for what it could do, right? That thing, yeah. again, like the, what did I say earlier? Like a jet fighter is a crop duster. Yeah. Like that pro I, display I was kind of like that for me too. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm fully in, fully in the dual display life now. The XDR is gone. I went to a good home where it will actually get used for what it's good at. And um, I switched over to two studio displays. <sighs> I, I'm impressed, man. I want to see pictures though. I want yeah. to see pictures. Yeah. I'll tidy it up and uh, uh, hopefully I can get a picture in the show notes this week. So you're gonna, are you going to put them both in portrait or, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, you're going to put them both in uh, what do you call it? Landscape. landscape. Yeah. They're both in yeah. landscape. Um, yeah. I, you could, if you vase them out the studio display, you can put it on its side. But yeah. um, I went with the adjustable stand, which is really yeah. nice because the default yeah. stand, it's too low. I, I mean, and I didn't want, because there's two of them, I didn't want to put a book stacked up. So I sprung for the nicer stand and just the regular glass. I am terrified of the nanotexture. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and so I've got just the standard glass, uh, which is fine. It's what I had before. And even I've got direct overhead lighting, but I don't have any like hot spots in terms of reflections. The windows are way up high. And yeah. behind the display, so I don't have like sunlight issues or anything like that, where the nano texture may come in handy. For people who are more power user listeners, you know that like one of the reasons why it didn't work for me is I had an old Dell next to it, and like I just could not look at Dell pixels next to a Pro Display pixel. It just yeah. it, it was it was like it was too it was too uh, shocking for my eyeballs. But so you you solve that problem. You just put two Apple displays next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're going to love it, man. I, so I, I'm so curious to hear in the future how that evolves in terms of like what goes on what screen. Mm. Like, are you putting the middle of them right in front of your your face, or are you like having like a main one and the other one off to the left? I mean, have you decided? You understand what I mean? Yeah. When you set them up, you could have one like square in front of you, and the other one kind of more as a reference to the side, or you could have them both centered in front of you. Right now, one is square in front of me, right where the pro display was. I think that's the answer. I honestly, I, I having done this in the past, having a big black line right down in front of you is, is mm-hmm. not cool. Yeah. And, and like I said, the other one, yeah, mostly for reference. So reminders, timery, audio hijack, zoom, stuff over there. Yeah. I'm still doing all my main work on the display. And that display is smaller, right? So I have felt that a little bit, but, um, so far, so good. All right. Well, surprise. Look, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the surprise. I love that. Uh, I'm looking forward. And we're going to be talking about that. I want to hear how that's going for you. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else hardware wise? I mean, uh, I feel like Apple's killing it on the iPhone front and the Mac yeah. front and like all hardware is good hardware. Yeah. The the iPad under the Mac as the, as the, um, like the utility display. Love that still. That was a thing that happened this year for me that I really kind of stuck the, uh, the kind of the status board iPad. Yeah. And if anybody's listening and has an extra iPad, just get it out and set it up. You'll see what I mean. But uh, yeah, overall, it's been a good year. And uh, I'm happy with the software stack I have currently, but I'm always looking to change it because I can't help myself. That's uh, part of the beauty of being a nerd. Always more tools to explore. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, the forums we mentioned are at talk.macpowerusers.com. We'd love to have you join the conversation. Uh, thank you to our sponsors this week, Text Expander, 1Password, Squarespace, and ZocDoc. And uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>